Hello, everyone, to the episode number 18 of the Jackson Hole Connection. I am Stephan Abrams, your host today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Today, my guest is Taylor Williams. Taylor is a performance psychologist with Valor Performance. Taylor is an entrepreneur, avid outdoorsman, and believe it or not, this guy played some football for the University of Georgia. Today, Taylor will speak to us about overcoming fears, how you can become a star performer, whether in the outdoor life, professional life, or personal life. Taylor will speak on the importance of setting goals and just living life, silencing the outside chatter. But before we begin with Taylor, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. So welcome, Taylor, to the Jackson Hole Connection. It's a delight to have you here today and get to know you a lot better. And I'm so excited that we get to share your story with all the listeners with the Jackson Hole Connection today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Stefan. It's an honor to be on this podcast. Like I've said before, uh, this is one of my favorites. It, it really does have a community feel. And that's, uh, if you get to know me a lot better, that's like one of my favorite things to do. I, or favorite things. Uh, I just love tight-knit community. So well, I'm pumped. Awesome. I'm pumped as well. It's been a pleasure getting to know you uh, since you moved here. So tell the listeners real quick how you and your wife are connected and landed here in the Jackson Hole area. Okay. Well, I'll first talk about how I'm connected to it because really I'm the reason we we got out here. But um, Every great man pulls their uh, awesome, even better woman to this valley. (laughs) No doubt about it. I don't think many women pulled them their husbands here i don't know i have been in and out of jackson for for many years now my parents brought me here when i was pretty young that was the first time i encountered it my cousin has a place here so for many years i've kind of been in and out of jackson and have slowly gotten acquainted with the different aspects of it but in 2009 i actually moved here uh and lived in a garage apartment and not a garage apartment a garage in off of I think it was Scott Lane right there uh, in town with a guy named William Wiki. I lived uh, in that garage. I, I came here at that point because, uh, well, I was doing some fly fishing down in Louisiana. So there's a lot of people who fly fish for reds down in Louisiana. And every time we would take somebody out, you know, they would be from up here and they would just kind of like gloat about all the fishing that was going on here. So that was in 2009. And finally I said, all right, I'm going up there. I got a buddy who lives there. I had some friends or cousins that were staying in Denver and I met them on the route. So I had a, the old classic two-door Tahoe, uh, Chevy two-door Tahoe, black, perfect. Uh, I wish I'd never gotten rid of it. But anyway, in Denver, I got robbed of everything that I owned on the way to Jackson. I had all these writings and all my studies and I had uh, a piano. I had, of course, all my just basic belongings like clothing and guitars and like, um, I mean, everything that, everything that I owned, I had strategically packed into my Tahoe parked at this, uh, the Radisson hotel in Denver and was rock came out the next morning and I had not a single belonging. And so I showed up in Jackson 
to a garage without a single thing. And I remember going literally with William Wickey to um, a garage sale to get a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad to stay in that garage. And mm. so uh, that was my introduction to Jackson. Fast forward, I guess it's been 10 years since then. I met my wife in Athens, Georgia, and in our first year of marriage, we just said, well, let's get away. Let's kind of take the old-fashioned notion of leave and cleave, and let's come out here and make our own life. And we don't know how, if that's a forever thing or what. Uh, when we got here, we were, I mean, we've just been thrilled. We live actually on the other side of the pass in Victor, and uh, we're in this little log cabin with a dog, and we hope to build a family there. And that's that's the kind of story. But I, I was very for I was gonna propose to my wife up on a mountain that I was familiar with, or a ridge, Bacon's Ridge down in the Green River area. So in the process of planning that kind of like surprise proposal, she said, "Why don't we just move out there?" And I said, "What?" And she said, "Why don't we move out there? Why don't why aren't we putting to?" I was trying to like put together this engagement up on this mountain. And every time I'd say, let's try to get a flight out this way. She said, why, why don't we just move out there? And of course I took that as my cue, like, let's do it. Cool. So as soon as we got married, we were out. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, I'm so happy that you guys have made uh, the trek out here to Jackson and you're establishing yourselves as, as leaders in the community. And, and granted you live in, Victor, Idaho. And I consider that part of the valley. I mean, it's two different valleys, but it's still, it's still local. Yeah, very much. And so you are a trained psychologist. Performance psychologist. Performance psychologist. So tell all of us the difference between a performance psychologist and maybe what we all think a psychologist is. The difference is the clientele that I service. And so where a traditional psychologist or a clinical psychologist might work with somebody who's, who's got you know, a range of different mental obstacles they're trying to overcome, I typically fashion or uh, cater my work to those who are already performing pretty functionally uh, at a high level and uh, want to achieve more. How did you decide to get into that specific field of psychology? Every time people ask me this question, I always kind of like twiddle my thumbs for a second and say, well, should I tell them, you know, the glamorous part or should I get real with them? And I've, I decided like when you, I decided beforehand that if he asked me that question, I'm just going to get real. I, I struggled, I struggled a lot myself personally with uh, performance type issues. I was a great athlete. I often, I mean, I had the tools physically. I was one of those kids who could throw it a million miles an hour, but could not keep it in the ballpark. I would choke under pressure as a football player. I'll, I'll never forget the very first time that I encountered what I think was kind of like a, a awareness of the, my mental state and how that might impact me uh, or people just in general was um, in eighth grade, we had a timed one mile run and every eighth grader had to do it. And I was a good athlete. I was a pretty fast kid. They would make us race and I would get into the middle of the pack and in the last lap or whatever it was, the last little distance, I would push and win from the middle of the pack. And I remember going home with my dad one day after school and say, dad, why don't I just get out in front and win from the front? And he said, well, you're not a front runner. And I remember that was the first time I thought, well, wait a second, I could be a front runner, but I choose to stay in the middle of the pack and then make a last push or, you know, I remember that being the first time that I kind of grappled with, wait, this is actually a mental thing because my body can get me to do whatever 
I mean, my body will get me there, but I, there's something in my mind that keeps me in the middle of the pack to the very end, and then I make a big push. So there was that, and then I had some experiences at the University of Georgia where um, this was a very impactful moment. Um, you know, I'm an undersized guy compared to a lot of D1 athletes, and uh, I think I got hit in the face a couple times, and I lost my nerve, and I had a coach say, do you want to go in in the next series? And I looked at him, and I just, to be honest with you, totally cowered. And I'll never forget that moment. Those are all little experiences that have led me to want to help athletes that were younger than me or really men that were younger than me kind of grappling with these issues and kind of I think I'm wired and gifted in such a way to really be able to communicate well with uh, particularly young men that so uh, you know having dealt with those issues myself I always would see a really good athlete who had a you know a brain problem or a mental problem and wanted to say hey buddy let me help you out with this and then one thing led to another like voracious reading about it to study and then so on. And so um, that's the long way around that question. We all deal with some barriers that prevent us from moving forward, but you recognized yours very early. And and then in college, what sport were you playing where you got hit in the face? Well, I was, I was a defensive, I was a defensive back at the university of Georgia. No kidding. Yeah. I, seeing your size, I would not think it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's another thing, too. I was always a very competitive athlete, but if I was going to get the edge, it was going to have to come from somewhere besides my body, mm-hmm. um, meaning I'm not very big. I had somebody tell me, and I've used this line a million times, he said, uh, I mean, it was actually the governor of Georgia, Sonny Perdue, who's now, I guess, the head of the Department of Agriculture for the United States, but he, he also was a football player at Georgia. He said, yeah, I wasn't very big, but I was slow. And um, (laughs) I had the same mentality. I wasn't very big, but I was slow too. The point being that I had to use a lot of other strategies to be competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just so many little lessons like that. And I think that relates even outside of sports, just in general life. We all have specialties and certain skill set and things come to us naturally. But if we have a challenge, let's say it's reading, maybe you're dyslexic. You have to read a lot more got to read a lot slower. I know for me, it takes me a while to read a book and digest what it really means. And there's many times I'm reading several pages, two, three times, so I can absorb what the message is in that book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Most people see it a little bit as like counseling, but oftentimes what I end up doing is teaching them material so they can counsel themselves. I've spent a little time in that learning disability area too with folks with ADD and, and people with, uh, that have a little more difficulty learning the traditional way. I, I found that there's a lot of ways to learn and there's a lot of different paths and I'm not a big believer in straight IQ. I believe that, you know, it's about kind of like teasing out or needing out people's intellect, finding their areas of intellect and, and trying to exploit that for them. So I do a lot of teaching and, and yeah, that's definitely the truth. I would, you make a great point there when you talk about the dyslexia and stuff like that. So people are hearing that keep reading and I want to make a, I want to, I want to make a plug for a movie that really impacted me in that regard. Uh, if you ever get a chance, watch the movie Temple Grandin. And it's about a girl who has been, she's an advocate for autism, but it is just an incredible movie. Do you have a book that you recommend that has helped you work through some of these fears that you've identified and helped you move forward? The, the book that I would recommend to everyone is a book written by a guy named Mark Devine. Uh, it's called Unbeatable Mind. 
and it's a great opening place for somebody who wants to kind of learn about all these things that I'm talking about. Um, it's probably not the best book, meaning it's not the best book. It's where I started and it's what kind of just, it's like it was the door to a big room for me. And so that book, definitely, I would just say that one. Yeah, I, would, I mean, that book really impacted me. And it was one fellow's take on performance and it exploded, exploded for me. That's great because you felt like, as you said, this is not the best book, but it's what opened the doors for you. And to yeah. you, it's important. What's the name of your business? The name of my business is Valor Performance. And do you have a website? I don't. It's an interesting topic. I was hoping you might ask me about that. Why um, do you have a website? <laughs> this um, is not 1974. No, it's not. But I, th- this is kind of what I've been noticing. Tell me, and we can, I would love for full on discussion about this. I've been noticing that in the world, the, on, on the internet, a lot of people throw their pearls to the swine. And a lot of great performance psychologists particularly are writing their books online and giving it away for free. And I am doing pretty well in my business and everything that I get come from word of mouth and my clients are going higher and higher profile. And I'm not saying that I won't ever have a website, but I'm beginning to think that uh, sometimes I don't like to contribute to the noise and I, it helps me filter a little bit better. Uh, I've thought about getting a website simply for the sake of validating that my business exists but maybe not even having a contact contact through it. Yeah, I know that's kind of a bizarre way of looking at it, but I've, I've been experimenting for a while. I'm new to this too. I've always come from an institutional place where I didn't have to do marketing for myself or anything like that. What I've done, I mean, clients came to me through an institution like the University of Georgia or something like that. So when I, I initially considered buying a URL and doing everything like that, I looked at all of these performance coaches that were doing similar things. And I thought you guys are giving it away for free. And, um, I think I'm going to take my time getting to what I want in terms of a website. If, if I even go down that route, because I'm not struggling without one now. Okay. I think you could have an argument both ways. And I bet you, 95% 95% of the listeners right now are thinking you're nuts not to have a website. How am I supposed to look you up? How can I find out, as you said, your experience validating it a little bit. And, and people do feel that you should offer some information free to get people hooked. But if you're growing your business organically and so naturally just through referrals, there's nothing better. Have you decided how big you want to be? Do you want to be just yourself or are you looking to bring other people on board? Admittedly, I've got to take a more intentional approach to my entrepreneurialism. And I thought that I was pretty good at that, but then I've seen some guys who really dive into that aspect of their business. And I, I admire that. Um, uh, like really getting their offering honed in and their scaling perfect and everything. And um, I do want to get to that place. I mean, I, it's not that I don't have any plan, but I've seen some guys really get that honed in and, you know, spin the top and it takes off. Well, it, it really comes down to what your vision and goals are for your business. And you'll decide that. You'll do a little bit of deep diving, some investigating and determine where you want to go. 
and that'll give you the answers you're looking for. One other thing about that too, uh, this isn't totally like a off the cuff notion. I love music and I've always been really into music and I'm from Athens, Georgia, the home of REM B 52s and widespread panic and widespread panic, honestly, and the almond brothers gave me the idea of this internetless uh, presence because their music spoke for themselves and they played night after night. I'm speaking of widespread panic. Widespread panic played night after night at a place called El Centro in Athens for years on end. I think right now musicians across the board, across the nation are struggling to find where their revenue is going to come from. And they're having to rewrite because of the internet, this whole issue of giving their, their music away for free. I think that there can be that type of thing in business too. Like you have to make, you have to make intentional contact, uh, contact with me, you know, for me to give you what I have, what service I have. Adding to that, if you want to go see widespread panic, you can find out where they're going to play to go see them. So somehow people have to find a way to get in touch with you. Um, so multi-channel as far as building it, that's just my, my opinion, but it's up to you to define what you want. I love that you mentioned widespread panic. I grew up with them through the years of college seeing widespread. My brother's probably in the tricentennial club of seeing widespread panic play. One of them came to his wedding and played with the band for one set, and everybody was up on stage dancing with widespread panic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Let's get into some other topics here, Taylor. Yeah. You are working with high-performance athletes. They're in the field. They're training. They are performing on the ski hill, on top of mountains, uh, fishermen, maybe cyclists. Are you out in the field or how are you doing your teaching and your guidance with these high performance people? Well, I'm trying to be out on the field as much as possible because the traditional approach to any of the psychological stuff is like you come into my office and we sit on two leather couches and I ask you like, <laughs> what are you doing? And uh, I, I want to break that mold to be honest with you. Um, there, there's a industry out there that a lot of people, well, and out here in Jackson, every, a lot of people know about, but it's like outdoor therapy mm-hmm. um, or wilderness therapy. And um, I kind of borrow from that idea, like, let's get out together. Let me go to where you're doing your your thing and let me see this in action. Part of that, honestly, Stefan, is selfish because it allows me to be out and about. But I also think that um, shared experience is necessary for growth. Uh, I, I've heard it said, and I believe it to be true, that 80% of therapy or counseling that happens or psychology work happens comes from relationship. And the other 20% is technique or technical nuance or whatever. And so I think that when you trip with somebody and you adventure with somebody or, you know, you get up on a mountain or go in the back country with somebody, you're building relationship and that allows you the relational equity to be able to say, Hey man, I'm thinking that you need to work on this issue. And if you don't have that equity with somebody, you don't have that relationship with somebody, you're fighting an uphill battle. And I try to keep that, um, that little ratio in mind. Like I need to be building relationship more than I need to be 
trying to teach somebody to breathe correctly. That'll come, but I'd rather have a relationship. So on those moments when I look at their face and say, do this, they know they're talking to someone who cares about their future. That's something I think I'm trying to break the mold uh, with a little bit, as opposed to sitting in an environment that's fairly sterile where, I mean, it feels sterile. That's what I'm, I'm trying to push that a little bit. Being outside in these woods, the mountains, the wilderness is not sterile at all. Yeah. And yeah. it really opens the mind to think at a different level because you have to push it. Yeah. Well, honestly, um, I, I don't know if you've ever met anybody affiliated with Red Top Meadows that is located just outside of Wilson in Red Top. And uh, they do the same thing for kind of troubled youth where they bring them out there and man, they, those boys are out in the wilderness. And one of the sayings is we let the mountains do the talking. If you don't know about that, I would put that one in the show notes. I mean, because red top meadows is a heck of an organization and they're really doing great things with, with youngsters. And these guys have got some tough situations and they have an incredible staff of like therapists and teachers and then the mountains. And they all do this counseling very intensely and it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. So shout out to Red Top for kind of contributing to my own ideas there too. It Another- is phenomenal what they do. I've, I've met a few of the counselors over the years and you hear some of the stories that they can tell you on the high level without giving out details that they're not supposed to. And it is phenomenal to hear how they are shaping and helping those youth who, who need that help desperately. Yeah. Definitely. You're working with high performance athletes. What about high performing business owners or executives? What type of resources do they have? I work with, I've mostly worked with athletes, but I've also worked with businesses. I, I come from a place that I, I think you've probably heard me say this. I believe fear throttles most everything that we do. And I also believe that the mind is the mind. And so I think that the skills that I teach are transferable to the business world. Absolutely. I have just long preferred athletes, but I'm also coming into a new season of my life where I'm, I am very interested in helping an executive who's trying to get a company off the ground or, uh, or trying to deal with a, a new business environment. I, and I, I've had some success with that um, because if you can cater to the leader of the, organization then you're catering to the organization it's a new frontier for me a little bit and i and i like it if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to reach out to you they could email me okay and i would just put jtaylorw at gmail.com perfect yeah my recommendation is buy the url that you want and then it will be at um valor performance yeah. Or whatever URL you, you buy. And that alone will give you, I guess, greater credibility on the street. Yeah. I got to make all those moves, Stefan. I know that it's coming. So folks be on the lookout because Taylor's going to get his URL pretty soon just to have a professional sounding email address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I need to do it. <laughs> What is your opinion on New Year's resolutions and the difference between a resolution and, and setting some goals? Ooh, the difference in New Year's. I mean, I think that's kind of personal. I take New Year's resolutions very seriously, but I'm a goal guy. 
And I also don't set it for 2019 in full. I set it for three months, January, February, March. And I recalculate uh, in, in March. Um, and I take that process very seriously. I think sometimes goals should be addition by subtraction. Like what am I going to cut out of my life in these next three months? Either one's fine. It just depends on how, you know. So when you say that you take it seriously, are you being specific and date oriented and um, being able to track it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Smart goals. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm kind of honed in now. Uh, I, I kind of have some processes that, uh, I mean, if you were to ask me about habits, you know, that's a whole nother topic, just another world to open. We'll talk about habits on the next episode that you're on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, you can use that, that smart acronym. I, but what I'm saying is I, over the years have made that kind of thing automatic. If I don't put it, if I don't make it date oriented that, uh, then I don't accomplish it. If I don't make it, uh, realistic, then I don't accomplish it. The re another reason I say that I make new year's resolutions, take them very seriously is I get down in the weeds about what is actually realistic. You see, there's a, here, I'll give you a little performance thing that I'm always working with. There's, there's your comfort zone, there's an uncomfortable zone, and then there's a panic zone, right? You, you want to stay in that uncomfortable zone. The comfortable zone's not good enough. The panic zone will set you back. So you got to get uncomfortable. But those, that, even that has got to be realistic. Kind of like sitting on a marble while you're driving in the car or when you spoke to the liquor store group, you mentioned putting a marble in your shoe and walking around with that in your shoe for yeah. a week. And that'll get you thinking about um, how to set some goals and how to overcome some fears. You can't do it all at one time. And I think that's a huge mistake that a lot of people make. Um, and I think that's a very transferable lesson to CEOs too. But like, I mean, I see mediocre skiers want to be great skiers um, before they're ready. You know, you haven't honed in your, you don't know how to ski. So you're not doing, you can't do that. Uh, <laughs> you get hurt. You'll get hurt. Yeah. And so like trying to, trying to say that, yeah, we're, we're going to push you, but we're not going to push you into panic zone mm -hmm. and your goals should be the same way. You know, they should push you. They should make you uncomfortable. You should have to, you know, if you're trying to work out every morning, I mean, they should, maybe you shouldn't do seven days a week, but it should be more than what you're doing right now. And it should make you dread the get up at least once or twice a week you know it you should it should push you into a level of discomfort otherwise you're not going to gain from it so your goals should be the same way i couldn't have set, started this podcast without setting some goals i had to i had to break it all down lay it out and get each piece accomplished and without me laying it out having that roadmap i never would have gotten this done yeah well it's it's awesome dude thank you Thank you. It really is. And I also liked how you said that you break it up in three months. So you and I have met, but I recently saw you speak at a Lions Pride group, and that's a mentoring group that I'm a part of. And they talk about setting goals, but they call them growth cycles. So if you set quarterly goals once every three months, set several of them, every year you have four growth cycles. So that's four different cycles of you growing as a person through life, through business, outdoor activities, however you want to set it. And it really works beforehand. Mm -hmm. I was like, eh, 
I don't need to set goals, but my life was chaotic and it is much better setting goals this way. Yeah, it is. It's a lot better. It's, you know, it encompasses another big concept that we talk about in performance psychology. It's called chunking. And really, if you look at the destination a year out, it's intimidating to a lot of people to say, I'm going to work out every day for a year. That's quite frankly, that's just an intimidating goal. But if you were to say, I'm going to work out every day for a month. So you chunk up, you chunk up your, your journey. I mean, it's the same concept there too. You know, I mean, and to make another like outdoor analogy or a skiing analogy, because that's the season we're in, you know, don't be frightened by the panorama. Focus on the pitch you're on right now, the gradient you're on right now, because more than likely you can ski that. That's fantastic to say, because you, you look at the world of social media today, people are just hungry and just devouring what so many other people in the world of social media are doing versus just look at where you are and focus there. And that's how you're going to improve because what you see out there in social media, yeah, it looks glamorous. It looks awesome with what the movie stars are doing, but that's not real world. No, it's not. It could be. I mean, you could get there if you, if you wanted to, A, if you wanted to, but you'd have to get there incrementally. I guarantee that. So yeah, they never got, they, they didn't get there overnight. Right. When I talk about teaching, I t- teach about um, unconscious competence, conscious competence. Uh, have you ever heard of the four phases of learning by chance? Mm-hmm. I can't recall them like you can. Well, but basically you got to, most people aren't aware of what they got to fix. Conscious incompetence is what they call it. And then you get to conscious competence, which means now you know what you're doing and you, and so you do it right. But the best part place to be is unconscious competence. That means you're doing the right thing automatically. And that's just, a, that's a long cycle to mm-hmm. go from not knowing what you're doing wrong to knowing what you're doing wrong, but not being able to do it right to being able to do it right, but have to will yourself to do it right, to being able to do it right and not think about it. That's a long process. I mean, that's sometimes years. Life is a long process, so we all have plenty of time to work on it. No doubt about it. No (laughs) doubt about it. That's right. Well, Taylor, what is one little sweet nugget of information that you want to leave everybody with to think about being a high performer in their daily life. Got it. I'll tell you right now. There is a saying, I think I heard that it was an Arabic saying, to listen is to understand, to write is mastery. And basically that means that you could listen to this podcast and maybe glean and understand some of the things I'm saying, but if you are, if you are able to write this podcast, then you would truly understand it. And so I'm advocating for things like journaling and um reflection with the pen and with the highlighter that's an incredible thing that's a that's a little nugget keep a journal it's not weird it's it's awesome no it's not weird it's not foofy to have your journal or your diary and i'm i'm getting better at it (laughs) much much (laughs) well you you could steer away from the term diary that that helps Mm -hmm. (laughs) indeed taylor this has been spectacular having you as a guest today. You have provided us with so much information to learn. We now know how to get in touch with you, even though that you're not, you yeah. cannot be found via Google. I appreciate you showing up. 
Yeah, no doubt. Stefan, I'm going to take your, uh, your advice too. And I'm going to, um, put a little more thought into that. And man, I really appreciate being on the podcast. If you ever need just a, a filler episode to talk about who's got the best chili in town or something like that, man, I'm totally game. Indeed. So, we can do that. And we can talk about habits. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you habits is a great one. <laughs> I love habits. I love them. So everybody, Taylor Williams, uh, performance psychologist, Valor Performance. Get out there, look at the show notes. You'll see how to get in touch with them via email. Taylor can help you overcome some fears, whether it's with doing something outdoors or just some personal life for high performing people. Taylor, you go enjoy the today. Hopefully it's snowing over there in Victor and take that dog out for a walk. No doubt. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Taylor. See ya. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Luke, you help bring it all together. Y'all come back again. You hear?